Welcome to Blitzcast, an NFL Draft podcast brought to you by NFLDraftBlitz.com. And now, your hosts, Alex Kavtov and Ed Hunt. Welcome, everyone. Blitzcast is here, and we have two interviews on tap during today's show. But the first thing on our agenda is the surprising Miami Dolphins. When I looked at our predictions before the season opened up, you and I didn't have the Dolphins in the playoffs, but right now they're they're vying for that playoff spot. Yeah, and Tua Tungviola's three and zero, which is uh, kind of surprising. I mean, when he first came in, it, I mean, he was a little, you know, he he had kind of that rookie rookie flare up, but I mean, when he now that he's starting to you know, get a little bit more experience as a starter in the NFL, he's starting to calm down and he's really turning into a a legitimate NFL quarterback. I think the question will always be like who got the better end of the deal. Tua was drafted number five overall to the Miami Dolphins. Justin Herbert went six to the Chargers. They faced off this week. Well, I wouldn't say it's like a fair comparison because Justin Herbert was under a lot of pressure. Miami Dolphins designed a lot of great defensive packages and they confused the rookie quarterback but it looked like the the Dolphins got the better end of the deal on Sunday because they won the game too well over Herbert in game one of, of their illustrious careers going forward yeah I mean it helped for the Dolphins to have a lot of draft picks and it's starting to already pay off this year I mean I talked about how I thought, you know, this team had a really good draft, and I think I think some of these draft picks are starting to pay off. It's not just the Tua Tungviola pick. It's the other picks. According to Bavada Sportsbook, uh, the Dolphins are a three-and-a-half-point favorite over the Broncos this week. Well, if the Dolphins made Justin Herbert uncomfortable, who is going to be Offensive Rookie of the Year, it looks like. He's the favorite right now, unless something drastic happens and he just falls off, which I don't think will happen. They're just going to make Drew Locke look like a JV quarterback this Sunday. Uh, You know, I hated being the one to kind of quell the excitement of the Broncos, you know, Drew Locke not really being, you know, all that he's hyped up to be. Yeah, I think a lot of people were excited last year when he came in and he won a few games and people were excited coming into the year. It hasn't gone well for them this year. The Broncos are struggling and and Drew Locke does not look like the quarterback of the future. And it doesn't bode well when you've got three rookie quarterbacks from this year's draft that are doing extremely well. And I'm talking about Burrow and I'm talking about Tua and Justin Herbert. It looks like these quarterbacks are just adjusting to NFL life a lot quicker than they would in in previous years. I mean, these guys are catching on, and offensive coordinators are are doing a great job designing their offenses around the the strengths of these three or, you know, the previous quarterbacks as well, and we've seen that with Kyler Murray. The Dolphins are sitting at 6-3. and They've got a five-game winning streak right now. Ed mentioned that Tua has won three straight games. I actually criticized the Dolphins for making the switch because Ryan Fitzpatrick was on a roll. He won two straight games. All of a sudden, Brian Flores makes the switch to Tua, and I was like, what is this? Why are they doing this? But it looks like a good move, and you know what? Brian Flores looks like the favorite 
for coach of the year honors. Yeah, I mean, obviously when you take out Fitzpatrick, it's it's a little bit like questionable, but I mean, this was always Tua's team. I think that's what what the message is: is that this was always going to be the Tua Tongue Viola show, and you know, as soon as he was ready, he was going to get the job. And you know, guys like Tyrod Taylor and Ryan Fitzpatrick, I mean, they're they're bridge quarterbacks. You know, they come into situations with young quarterbacks, and you know, they're kind of asked to you know teach them the ropes and show them how to run a team and start for a few games, and then you know, once they get their quarterback of the future going, it's like. All right, now it's now it's on to the next city, and I mean it has to be a tough life. I mean it's not like you can buy a house somewhere and really stay somewhere for a while. You gotta you gotta kind of pack up and go, and you know lead another team, and so you know that's what's gonna happen with Fitzpatrick. I have to give credit to that Miami Dolphins defense because that defense has definitely exceeded expectations. They played pretty well last year, but this year they're just playing on a different level, and. They're forcing takeaways. That secondary is playing really well. I mean, they held one of the best receivers, Keenan Allen, in check for the entire game. That's why Justin Herbert struggled, because he always he looks for his security blanket, and his security blanket is Keenan Allen. They only allowed a touchdown to Keenan Allen late in the fourth quarter, but otherwise I think they have to, like, three catches. I mean, that is basically nothing. So you got to give Flores and that front office credit because they're basically building a patriot model they're starting with defense they built up that secondary they spent money on that secondary they gave Xavier howard a big contract and then they brought in byron jones it looks like brian flores is going to be one of those bill belichick disciples that actually is going to accomplish some great things because that that bill belichick trees just hasn't looked great in the past couple of years, and it looks like Flores is is gonna kind of rekindle that Bill Belichick flame, as they say. Yeah, and it seems like a lot of franchises have tried to sort of re, you know, remake the sort of Belichick model. I mean, you talk about, you know, the Lions with Matt Patricia, get basically someone from the Belichick tree or the, you know, Belichick disciple, and try to build that kind of program in in another city and. Um, it just it just doesn't work the same way it's worked for Belichick. Well, it's working for the Dolphins right now. They seem to have hit a home run with this hire and going on record to say that at this point, I would give Coach of the Year to Brian Flores if I had a vote. Let's turn to another team that's on a roll right now. It's a team from the NFC. Let's talk about the New Orleans Saints. They've won six straight games. Drew Brees was hitting his stride the the last couple of games. He got his receivers back. He got Michael Thomas back. And the defense was playing better. And we talked about it last week, how how well they looked at uh, against the Bucks. But now Brees suffered a ribs injury. It's, it's a multiple rib fracture on both sides and a collapsed lung on the right side. He is going to miss time like he did last year. What do you think? What type of effect is this going to have on, on the Saints team? Well, I mean, the Saints do have an easy schedule the next four weeks. So, I mean, they can kind of coast. The idea is, is that, the, you know, they definitely want to get him back for the playoffs. 
and you know the hope is is that they can get him back for that Chiefs game. You kind of have to hope that Breeze gets as much time as he as he needs to to have this thing heal. I mean, a broken rib is painful. A collapsed lung is a scary thing to think about. I mean, I, I know these NFL guys, you know, they heal and they have the best doctors, but I mean, you know, that's that's not something to mess around with. If if they can if they can hold on to you know some sort of playoff spot. You know why not? Why not sit Breeze and you know roll with Taysom Hill as your kind of wildcat quarterback and you know roll with Jameis Winston. I mean that's the reason you get a guy like Jameis Winston is so that you know if Drew Breeze needs to go down for a certain period of time that you can stay in the playoff race. So Jameis Winston's going to be asked to do exactly what they brought him here to do. I want to remind everyone that last year Drew Breeze missed five games. Teddy Bridgewater came in. And he won all five straight games. And he showed everyone that he can lead a franchise and become that starting quarterback. He got a big contract with the Carolina Panthers, and he's played well this year, considering that Christian McCaffrey has been out for most of the year. Winston can do the same thing. This is the reason why he signed with the Saints for one year. He wanted to learn from Sean Payton. He wanted to sit behind Drew Brees. Now he knows the system a little bit more than what he did when he first came in Winston can help himself if he can show that he can cut down on those picks something that he had a problem with if he can run that system to perfection and he'll have at least a month maybe even more obviously you're going to insert Taysom Hill in there you're going to have those packages for him because he's such a unique and dynamic player and I'm sure that Sean Payton is going to do the the two quarterback thing but I think Winston is going to be the starter Hill is going to be that specialty quarterback around goal line in the red zone for trickery purposes this is a chance for Jameis Winston to show what he is made of and and if he can win and if he can limit those mistakes Winston can can score a big time deal in the offseason he can get a contract from another NFL team yeah, and I mean, you saw how Bridgewater got that contract from the Carolina Panthers, and that's really what Jameis Winston is playing for, is he's playing for another job with another city. Winston threw a lot of interceptions last year with Tampa Bay, and he he wasn't the right guy for Tampa Bay, and that was really kind of the problem. But, I mean, they said he's, you know, a lot of it, you know, some of it could have been a vision, and they've sort of been able to fix his vision issues, and Obviously, it's the kind of sport where he can play, you know, he can wear contacts and stuff like that. So I think Jameis Winston will be able to coast them to the playoffs. And this week, Bovada has the Saints as a as a five point favorite at home versus the Falcons. So they definitely have a winnable game. And it might be that offensive track meet between Winston and Matt Ryan. I think a lot of points will be scored in this game. For all those people that think that the Saints will take a step back, I don't think they will because Sean Payton is going to design his game plan around Winston's strengths, and we're still going to see a lot of Taysom Hill. And Michael Thomas is still there. He's healthy now. And Alvin Kamara, you'll see a lot of uh, a healthy dose of Alvin Kamara as well. And the Saints, during this six-game winning streak, I mean, their defense has played well. They've been able to get after the quarterback, and that secondary, again, I, I've said this before, that secondary played extremely well against a talented Bucks wide receiver core. 
Welcome. We've got Trey Essex on the line, uh, two-time Super Bowl champ and former Pittsburgh Steeler and one-year Indianapolis Colt. We're excited to have you on the show. How are you doing, Trey? Good, good. Thanks for having me, fellas. Can you tell us what it was like going through your mind when you had to step in for Marvell Smith in that Super Bowl run as a rookie? There was a lot of things going through my mind. Let me tell you, I'm, I was a left tackle coming from Northwestern without a lot of success. Best season at Northwestern was probably 6-6. Six and six. It was 6-6. Six and six. Um, Went to one bowl game and then get drafted to my childhood favorite team. And the Steelers was already mind-blowing in itself. But did I, not, I did not think I was going to play my year because we had a pro bowler in Marvell Smith. He had been consistent throughout his career. was big uh, as far as injuries are concerned. That was not a big part of his career. And then when he went down and I had to start against Baltimore of all teams, it, it was a lot going on. We had Tommy Maddox in there because Ben had got hurt uh, a couple of weeks before. I knew I had to come in and, and do my part and uh, try to at least uphold the tradition that Marvell Smith had established at left tackle up until that point because we had a Super Bowl team, and I didn't want to be the reason why uh, we didn't get to where we needed to go as far as the offensive line is concerned. So needless to say, it was, uh, was nerve-wracking, but uh, a great experience. You won two Super Bowls as a Steeler. What's your favorite Super Bowl memory? Man, so so many. Um, my favorite Super Bowl memory, any Steeler fan knows uh, about the interception return that James Harrison did against uh, Arizona in uh, Super Bowl 43, how game-changing that was um, and how improbable a play was that our 260-pound outside linebacker could take a – a slant 100 yards for the score. And so just to be on the sideline to witness that that play at the time, and it still might be the longest play in Super Bowl history, it was amazing to be there for that type of history and that type of play. You knew from that point that that Super Bowl was, was ours to lose. And uh, thankfully, uh, we didn't let Larry Fitzgerald's big second-half touchdown um, get us down, and Ben and Santonio finish it off in the fourth quarter. Uh, Trey, you grew up in Indiana. Uh, basketball is is the number one sport in that state. Was basketball your first love growing up? Yeah, it's still my first love, actually. I just didn't grow into a basketball player. I uh, I grew out instead of up, and so football ended up being the sport for me. But high school, I played high school basketball. We won a state championship, and people ask me, what is your biggest sports moment and the state championship uh, that we won in basketball in high school at that time in my life was as big as the Super Bowls that I won later in life relatively speaking because that's just a big thing to here in Indiana like you mentioned it's basketball is God it, I consider Indiana the mecca for high school basketball and definitely was my first love and it still is to be truthfully honest what was the biggest reason you chose Northwestern what was uh, what were some factors that went into that decision? I realized that was a long time ago, but take us into your mindset mm -hmm. at that time. My final four choices came down to Northwestern, Notre Dame, and Miami, Florida, and Purdue. Uh, those are my four choices. Going into my senior year, Northwestern was probably third or fourth. Uh, I had a Miami was the U at the time, so that's when they had. Santana Moss and Jeremy Shockey and Brian McKinney and Clinton Porter's and they, the list of star players had on the team at that time was ridiculous and uh, 
I, I had bought into it. I was into the, the glam and whatnot and took my official visit down to Miami. I had a good time, but then it was something about Northwestern going there. It was probably the worst visit I took out of all the visits I, I did for college. And it was snowing. It was a blizzard. But they had just come off winning a Big Ten championship. And that degree that you get from Northwestern is second to none. And uh, it was also within driving distance so my parents could watch me play. And uh, they wouldn't have to come out of pocket to buy plane tickets to go down to Miami every year. So Because we were still living in Fort Wayne at the time. And so it was a lot of decisions, a lot of uh, reasons that went into that decision. But ultimately speaking, like I knew that if NFL wasn't going to be for me, I, the NFL is going to find you anywhere that you are. If it happened that I were to get hurt or somehow I wasn't able to continue my football career at that degree, then I could fall back on from Northwestern was ultimately why I chose to go there. So you didn't fall for sunny Florida and all the glitz and, and all those players. Obviously Miami was, was riding high at that time. You didn't, you didn't fall for that. Huh? I almost did. Don't get me wrong. Like it was close. Uh, my parents didn't knock some sense to me to say, you know, you can't commit while you're there. You got to give it some time to uh, actually make a, a sound decision. Go back home and take everything into account and go on all your business before you commit. I might have committed to Miami, but my parents are to raise me right. And uh, they've been there every step. We're there every step of the way to continue to be. And uh, they grounded me and, and made me come up with a, a decision. Even though they said they would have backed me any decision on I me, mean, I know they were happy I chose Northwestern. Uh, Trey, you mentioned that you were a Steelers fan growing up. What was it like to get drafted by your favorite team in the third round? Take us to that day, that, that draft day. And Did you know? Did they show some interest in you during the draft process? Did you have a good feeling that maybe they were one of the teams that you could go to? No. Um, being from Fort Wayne, Rob Woodson is a big figure. And I said he, he, was, uh, he went to a high school not too far from where I grew up, and obviously he had his career at Purdue, stayed in Indiana, and then went on to become what I think one of the greatest students of all time. And uh, he used to come back and do a camp every single year. And I was a part of that camp every single year when I was growing up. And so that's kind of how my Steelers' love was fostered. But going through the draft process, uh, going through the combine, I thought the teams that were going to pick me were either going to be Kansas City, Buffalo. Those are the teams that I had uh, combine meetings with. But uh, I did go on a visit to Pittsburgh, and it was good, but I didn't, there was nothing there that told me that I was on their draft board. I mean, obviously coming to the visit, you know, they, I was on some list, but I didn't know as far as where they had me as far as drafting. So I had no clues going into that day, April 15th. 2005 I remember it like it was yesterday I woke up early that morning that's when they had rounds one through three on TV on Saturday and I watched every single pick not knowing I was gonna get picked on the first day but I saw a lot of guys that I thought that was better than go ahead of me so I was getting upset I was getting mad I was like there's a team out there who knows I could play but for whatever reason they're not picking me as the night progressed I actually was getting ready to go to the bowling alley. I was like, nobody's going to pick me up on the first day. Had a couple of my friends. Let's go to the bowling alley, get my mind off of things. As I'm getting ready to walk out the door, I get a call from a 412 area code on uh, my cell phone. And I'm like, I don't know who this is. I didn't think it was. I didn't know who it was. So I, I pick it up. It was like, is this Trey Essex? 
Northwestern, and it was uh, Kevin Colbert. He was like, can you wait one second? Coach Cowan wants to talk to you. By that time, my heart's beating. Like, this, could this really be it? Could this be the Steelers calling to draft me or somebody making a joke? Like, I didn't know what to think. <laughs> when Coach Coward got on the phone, his voice is unmistakable. And I tell people, Bill Coward is known for his chin. Like, as he was talking, I feel like I could hear his chin. Through <laughs> and he was, Trey, how you doing, son? Are you ready to be a Pittsburgh Steeler? And my, I never cussed from my parents, but I cussed that day. I was like, hell yeah, coach. I'm ready to go. And uh, that's what happened. They drafted me, third round, 93rd pick overall. Uh, my girlfriend was there, my parents, some friends. It was a pretty special moment for me. And uh, it was a little celebration. Matthew got the phone. Yeah, it was a great day. Uh, Trey Essex is here with us. He's a former Steelers offensive lineman. What will you remember most? about the Steelers organization as you look back now? How close a professional organization was, how family-oriented it felt. Um, I was fortunate enough to play, I say my entire career, obviously I had a little cup of coffee here in Indianapolis, but I'm a Steeler. I played there for seven years, went through some special years together, and um, there's one special memory that sticks out, and it was actually occurred after I got done playing. Uh had been... 10 years in 2015 since we had won the our fifth Super Bowl in 2005 and old man Dan Rooney was still uh, was still around and still shaking everybody's hand I came back and I hadn't been to the facility since I had got released in 2012 and in that time frame I had two little ones two little girls and they had never been to Pittsburgh but uh, I walked up to Mr. Rooney said how you doing sir how you been he's like Trey how are you how's the Maya and Ava like he knew my daughter's name and I hadn't talked to him. I hadn't talked to anybody from Pittsburgh, but that's just the kind, that's kind of a microcosm of how the Rooney's ran the organization. He knew my daughter's name, even though I hadn't talked to him or anybody else really with the Steelers organization, like two or three years. And he made a point to ask about my little girls. And so that just confirms everything that people say about the Steelers. They're not blowing smoke when they say they're a family organization who really cares about everybody that comes through that plays for them. Mr. Rooney was definitely one that, that exemplified that. You talked a little bit about Bill Cower. Um, what was it like to play for Bill Cower? It was an intense kind of love. Like, he was hard on you, and he wanted you to get the most, but you never felt like it was too hard or he was too demanding too much or being unfair. Um, he cared about his players, and – he wasn't always serious. He would joke with you, but there was a time and place for everything. So you never wanted to disappoint Coach Cower because you knew he cared and you knew he would put you in the best possible situation to succeed. And uh, everybody felt like that from the star players like Joey Porter, Troy Polamalu, been to the second string, third string long snapper. Uh, he knew everybody and he really made a point to, to make everybody feel special. So you would run through a wall for Coach Cower, most definitely. Roethlisberger's, you know, been in the league for a long time. Lots been said about him. What kind of person has Ben Roethlisberger having blocked for him? Ben's great. There have been stories and people talking about his personality, but Ben, um, especially being one of his offensive linemen, one of his closer friends when I was there, he's a very loyal human being. He definitely looked out for us as his offensive line and always made sure that we, we had fun, made sure that we knew that he cared about us. We had all kinds of fun. We got stories for days, and 
we always reminisce when we get a chance to go back. But even though I haven't blocked for him for, shoot, nine years, we still talk. Uh, we'll still get a, we'll text from time to time. And when I go in town, I'll go over and see his family, his wife, Ashley, his three little kids. So he's, he's a great and he's done nothing but become better as uh, his career, as uh, his Hall of Fame career has kept on going. And uh, he's got a wonderful family and the Roethlisberger's are doing a great job. Ben is definitely still one of my good friends. That's pretty awesome. So there was a story you were 380 pounds at Ben Roethlisberger's wedding. Um, how did you yeah. lose the weight so fast? Or I mean, is that story true or just I want to hear it from you? No, it's true. It was true. Suit that I had on didn't really do me any favors. I had pinstripes, on, so that made me look even bigger. But um, no, I was I had gotten out of shape. I think it was during the lockout season, and I uh, I really let my body go. I wasn't working out like I was supposed to, and I wasn't eating like I was supposed to. And there was no fit to what I needed to do uh, as far as to get in shape. I just had to lock down and be disciplined as far as my diet and working out. There was no magic pill or no magic exercise it, it, it really took everything in me just to lock down and be like this is not going to be the end of my career and another story ben was the one that told me he's like trey everybody saw you at the wedding i want you back but they're not going to bring you back when you look like this and so i took that to heart and he really went to bat for me to get me back to pittsburgh would check on me to make sure i'm doing what i was supposed to do and uh i lost the weight lost uh, i was down to arizona training with max starks down there and I, I really locked him down and lost about 60, 70 pounds in, in about four months. You should put that diet plan out there on YouTube or or somewhere else <laughs> or on Twitter. <laughs> I mean, I think we'd, we'd all sign up. I mean, half of the nation would sign up for that. <laughs> yeah, it was intense, but I definitely, uh, it was definitely worth it. So, uh, Bovada has the Steelers uh, minus 10 on the road over the Jags this week. Since you're a Steelers fan, you're continuing to root for them. You're still good friends with Big Ben. What are your thoughts on the current Steelers team? They're 9-0 and right now. They're playing well. I want to hear it from you. How does this team remind you of those two Super Bowl teams that, that you had before? They definitely have some of the right pieces in place. And it's a different offense. The defense was very similar to some of the defense I played with, but the difference is the offense with it being more of a spread offense and Ben really run the show from the no huddle. A run game not as strong, but a lot of the old linemen how uh, they play are very similar to how we used to play. Ridiculously superstitious. So I don't like to make predictions as far as them going undefeated or whatever. I honestly don't care either way. I just want them to stay healthy and to just keep on improving on things that I know that they can do because I don't think they played their best game yet to be truthfully honest uh they had a good game against Cincinnati but the run game wasn't working like it was supposed to we got to get that back up to shore and we're giving up too much on the ground uh these last few weeks so as perfect as the record may say that we are we are far from it and there's still a lot of improvements to be made in the second half of the season so I'm looking forward to them actually doing that because I know Tomlin that's what he's going to do every every meeting every team meeting Going on Wednesday, he'll show a film section of mistakes made and how they could be approved upon. And uh, that's going to keep guys humble. It's going to keep guys hungry. I still think we've yet to see the best version of the Steelers this year. Trey, we want to get your thoughts on 
offensive line play so far for the Steelers. How have they been playing so far this year? They've been protecting Ben. Uh, that's one thing they have been doing. I think the pass protection has been wonderful. They've had some injuries on the right side of that line, so had to swap some guys off with a big uh, banner going down early. And now Chooks is in there. He, I thought I think he's doing a great job. The Castro being hurt early. Kevin Dotson, the rookie coming in, who I thought did a tremendous job for a rookie. I think he has a tremendous future uh, for the Steelers. Um, Pouncy is Pouncy. You're going to get Pro Bowler Pouncy every game, every snap. He's been in the game for a long time. He's a Hall of Famer. But uh, I think we could do a little bit more in the running game. For whatever reason, we're not doing a lot of counter and, and, and power plays that we found success with before with Connor and the Castro pulling and getting Mount Pouncy out in space. There is some room for improvement. Filer who had to move from right tackle for two years and had to come in and replace that legend and Ramon Foster left guard. I think he's done a great job, but even him, I think they can use him in the run game, pulling a little bit more, getting James on the edge. So, um, like I said, I think they're doing a great job. If I had to put a grade on it, I'd say a B, because I think even they will tell you that they want to run the ball better. I wanted to get your thoughts on the young guy, uh, Chuck Wuma Okorafor. He's playing right tackle right now. They're saying maybe he could be the left tackle when Ale, you know, Alejandro Villanueva hangs it up. I wanted to get your take, you know, having played played the position. Where do you think he is right now, and what do you think he could be? So, Chooks, I, I watched him when he was at Western Michigan, and he was a left tackle then. One of my good friends from Northwestern, uh, ironically, was the wide receiver coach there. So I watched him a lot before we drafted him. He's a hell of an athlete. He's a natural left tackle, I think more left than right. And I think if and when Alejandro does decide to hang it up, that Chutes would be the natural guy, the most logical person to take over at that left tackle position because I think he has all the tools for it. I think he had a slow start to this year because he did lose the uh, camp battle with exact uh, to – take over the right tackle position that Filer vacated when he had to move to left guard. But since then, I think he's played great. He had a really good game against Miles Garrett, who we all know is one of the best in the league. And uh, he's very physical at the point of attack. And I think he's getting more comfortable. But to answer your question, yeah, I definitely think and have confidence that he can go to left tackle and, and play really well there. It seems like Mike Tomlin is kind of that alpha male among alpha males. You know, the Steelers like those alpha male types and, What's it like to play for Mike Tomlin? Do you think he's a great motivator? He definitely is. The thing that you love about Coach T is that he doesn't – he tells you how it is, exactly how it is, and what it's going to be. There is no frills about his message. You're going to know exactly where you stand in his eyes, in the eyes of the organization. And so you got to take that information and do with it what you will because he's going to let you know. He is consistent. Um, he doesn't waver. He is who he is. You know what you're going to get out of him. As a player, you appreciate that because you know how to approach your job and uh, you know what's expected of you. And uh, I think there was a little transition period between Coach Cowher and Coach Tomlin. They have a different way of coaching, but a lot of what they do from their relationship with the players is very similar. As Alpha Mel as Tomlin is, he, is, he has conversations with, with his players. He tries to help his players succeed. I mean, he's written me a couple of recommendation letters post-career, uh, just trying to help me advance my career in broadcasting and other uh, aspects of my career. So 
I mean, he's not just a football coach. He does get to know you on a personal level. Um, and I think a lot of guys appreciate that. They love playing for him. You see how much fun they have in Pittsburgh. He has the most famous press conferences of all time. You know he has all the cliché, the Tomlinism, as we like to call him. <laughs> uh, he's, he's a great coach and another Hall of Fame coach that the Rudy's just, they don't know how to hire anybody else but Hall of Fame coaches. So it's pretty awesome. You talked about how you said you think Marquise Pouncey is a Hall of Famer. Can you just kind of give me a little tidbit of what it's like to play with him? I mean, he's he's been, you know, him and Ramon Foster over the last few years have been kind of the leaders, but you kind of played with him when he was a younger guy. Pouncey was, you couldn't tell he was a rookie when he stepped on the field. I mean, he's always had a, a air about himself, a, a confidence that uh, he knew he was going to be great. Um, he came in right away. A new date. He was the guy, and he he proved it shortly thereafter. I mean, there's not a lot of centers in this league that can say they played as long as he's played at the level that he's played at. Uh, the only thing he's missing from his uh, resume is the Super Bowl, and I know that he's trying his best to get that this year or before he hangs it up. He's definitely deserving of it, and in the lineage of a lot of great centers and Mike Webster and Damani Dawson and had a chance to play with Jeff Harding. He's right up there with him. He's one of the best centers to ever play for the, for the black and yellow. And I think we had the best centers in NFL history if you line, line them up next to any other franchise. And uh, he's definitely one of those. But, uh, yeah, Marquise is very intense. He finishes everything. Like, he doesn't know how not to finish. And that just kind of rubs off on the rest of the offense mind. That's what makes him a leader because he's not out there trying to prove anything to anybody. He just That's just what kind of guy he is. When you look at today's NFL, uh, how has the game changed from your perspective since you retired? It's a loaded question. It has changed in a lot of aspects in how they police and ref the game. In my career, you, the concussion stuff really started to take the forefront towards the end. At the beginning, there wasn't as much information out there about it. And so the game was just refereed a lot differently. Therefore, guys played with a different type of intensity. People were getting hit, taking out the games. Uh, I remember Hines Ward knocking Keith Rivers out of the game, breaking his jaw, and he was never the same from an NFL career point standpoint after that. And so the physicality of the game has definitely changed. Everything is leaning more towards offense and scoring points, and defenders are, I think, putting them to more of a bind because you can't do a lot of things that – the defenders during my time could do. And it doesn't seem like it was that long ago. I mean, I played from 05 to 2012, and it's only 2020, but a lot has changed in that time frame. And uh, the biggest thing is the physicality has just waned off just because everything that's going on with concussions and injuries and NFL trying to uh, make the game a safer game. Please tell our listeners what you've been up to since since you retired. Uh, what are you doing nowadays? Well, for the last five years, I've been – doing some sports broadcasting, doing some Division II uh, football games for ESPN. Uh, I've been to all kinds of cool little college towns uh, where guys are playing football. Division II guys are playing football strictly for the love of it. Every now and again, you'll get a guy that has NFL talent, but they are few and far between. So it's a different kind of mindset going there, watching you guys play football, but I I like it because it's refreshing to see guys out there just playing for the pure love of the game. And um, for the last five years, I've been doing that. I do uniform inspection for the Colts. 
uh, for the last six years. Uniform police, uh, if you will. Make sure guys got their jerseys tucked in, the socks pulled up. They hate me, but it's just it's a nice little gig because I get to watch the coach play on Sunday as well while I'm in town. And so from a career standpoint, that's what I've been doing. And then three little ones, Amaya, Ava, and Jory, aged eight, six, and three, are keeping me busy. And uh, obviously my beautiful wife, Christina. So taking care of my family and uh, still rooting for my students very hard on Sunday. Well, let's hope they win another Super Bowl this year. I'm not going to jinx them. That but nice. uh, uh, Trey, thank you for being with us. We We really appreciate it. No problem. All right, we're back from the interview, and we've got one last topic on deck. Uh, we're going to talk about the Arizona Cardinals. It seems to be a theme on this show. We're talking about teams that have caught fire, teams that are on a roll. We've already talked about the, the Dolphins and the Saints, and now we're talking about that Arizona Cardinals. That catch by DeAndre Hopkins was a thing of beauty at the end of the game against the Buffalo Bills. Yeah, I mean, the way he high points the ball. <laughs> I mean, did you catch what he said after the game? He, he sort of made the, the gesture, you know, where he's tapping the top of his head and kind of saying, like, he just got dunked on. And that's that's kind of what just happened there. I mean, he, he, he could high point the ball really well. And, um, you know, DeAndre Hopkins is a big reason why this team is 6-3. and three. Yeah, and they're 4-1 and one in the last five games. They beat the Seattle Seahawks a couple of weeks ago. Everybody took notice, but now they beat the Buffalo Bills, and it seems like Kyler Murray has a flair for the dramatic. It seems like he's a quarterback that knows how to win these close games. You're never out of it when Kyler has the ball at the end of the fourth quarter. He's becoming that Mr. Comeback. I would say in the beginning, the Arizona Cardinals were having long drives against the Bills, but they were settling for field goals inside the red zone. But in the second half, they caught fire, and obviously DeAndre Hopkins is the number one guy for Kyler Murray, but that catch was amazing. It's just it's kind of like one of those catches that Randy Moss used to come up with he would high point the ball like a basketball player it didn't matter if it was a double or a triple team I was really impressed with what Kyler Murray did because when he was rolling out to his left there was a pass rusher in his face he had to square his body get his hips right square those shoulders to get that pass off and he threw it like 50 yards without any problem at all obviously he showed off his arm strength and it was just amazing. I mean, the throw is as accurate as you would want it to be. And that's what impressed me about the play even more. It wasn't only the catch. It was the throw as well. I think, I think you know, kind of one of the things that jumps out for me is, you know, we're seeing this dual threat quarterback, which, you know, has been working in the college game. And now it's, it's starting to be a regularity in the NFL. You know, I remember that I criticized the Arizona Cardinals for – not doing the right thing. I mean, I remember when they drafted Josh Rosen, number 10 overall, and then they dumped them after one year when they hired Cliff Kingsbury, and he wanted his guy. He wanted Kyler Murray. But it seems like the Arizona Cardinals got on the right track. I mean, they got their head coach, and they got their quarterback, and they're they're on the same page, as they say, and that offense, it's going to carry the day. And it, right now, as we sit here today, the Arizona Cardinals look like a playoff team, and it's a team that I wouldn't want to play against because 
They've got some weapons, and they've got a running game now. Chase Edmonds, Kenyon Drake looked like he was alive against the Buffalo Bills, showed signs of life. The offensive line has played better, something that's been huge issue at Arizona. And this is, we're still long way away, obviously, from the playoffs, but I wouldn't want to play the Arizona Cardinals in the playoffs. Well, the, the the problem with the Arizona Cardinals is their defense, and I, I understand they have Buda Baker, and they're they're pretty good at safety. But to be honest with you, front seven cornerback, I'm not that impressed with the Arizona Cardinals on the defensive side of the ball. Well, you know what, Bavada is also not impressed with the Arizona Cardinals, even after their big win against the Buffalo Bills. Uh, they have the Cardinals as a three-point underdog on the road versus the Seahawks. It looks like people are still going with Russell Wilson, even though Kyler Murray beat Russell Wilson a couple of weeks ago. Who do you have in this game? Are you going with the Cardinals, or are you taking the Seahawks? I, I'd go with the Seahawks in this game, and I'd uh, I'd take the over, too. <laughs> you know, when the over-under, I mean, I don't know what the over-under is, but I'm going to take the over in this game. I don't, I don't, I don't have much faith in either defense. We're joined by another guest. His name is Chris Garrett. He's a defensive lineman from Concordia University, St. Paul. He's a Harlan Hill Trophy nominee, Cliff Harris Award finalist, and a D2 All-American. He shows a real knack for getting after the quarterback. He had five sacks in one game last year. Chris, welcome to the show. Yeah, glad you guys uh, chose to have me on. I'm glad to talk to you guys a bit. Five sacks in one game. How does that happen? Do you still remember that game very vividly in your mind? Oh, yeah, I remember that game. Um, it was a fun game. It was it was snowing, and I had all my family there. And honestly, it was just it was really a game that I was able to take over. It was fun. Obviously, this season has been really different. What have you been up to? Uh, how have you stayed in shape during this time? I'm training at Next Level Fitness in Waukesha, Wisconsin. Training with Brad Arnett, and he's a uh, man. They they kick my butt every single day. Every time I walk in there, it's you know it's gonna be a work day. So that's what I've been up to, staying in shape and just trying to be prepared for my, my the moment. When did you start training with them, Chris? Uh, when did this uh, When did this begin? Probably October, the second second week in October, I started training with them and they've been just making sure I'm healthy making sure uh, I'm flexible just little details so that I can build my strength and build some of those um, things that I have to work on a lot of small school guys that I know are still undecided about whether to turn pro or not some of them are still debating whether to go back in the spring or maybe come back next fall very few have made that decision. You've already made up your mind that you will enter the 2021 NFL draft. What factors went into that decision? Getting feedback directly back from scouts and um, just talking to people and knowing that um, there's not much I can do at the Division II level to improve draft stock. Now it's just about taking that risk and taking the next step. And honestly, I just talked about it with my family and really just spend a lot of time in prayer. God really just let me know that this is this is what I need to do. I'm curious, how does a guy like you 
slipped through the cracks. Tell us about your recruiting. You were born and raised in Wisconsin. Who was interested in you, Chris, and how did you eventually wind up at Concordia? Wisconsin was interested in me. I went to their junior day, Western Illinois, Northern Illinois. Got a couple, like a letter from Utah. These schools were interested in me, but they they wanted me as walk-ons. Wisconsin talked about maybe a scholarship, and then you know they gave all the scholarships away, and I was just kind of just left there. And there was no way I was going to be able to pay to go to a Division One institution. After every team kind of just dropped off the map, Coach C at Concordia, he um, he came to my school and was like, "Hey, you can come help change the culture here." And I saw that as an opportunity, and I went to visit the school, and I just knew that that's what I was going to spend the rest of um, the next four years. So I uh, went to Concordia, and now I'm here. Are you happy with, that you made that decision uh, to, to go to Concordia? Absolutely. There's no place. Like, God made it clear um, over and over again that Concordia was where I was supposed to be. And um, I know that maybe it was a tougher route, but – I'm, I'm where I am, and I know this is where I'm supposed to be, too. You hold the D2 record for career force fumbles with 15. How proud of you are of that accomplishment? It's something that, I really, um, that I'm really proud to um, have. You know, it, and it speaks to the way I value the football. I really, I really football to another level. Like, that's what it's all about. That's what the game's about. I'm really proud of that accomplishment, and I wish, honestly, I wish I had a senior year because I would have crushed, crushed that record. Like, nobody would have been able to break it. What are your best pass rush moves? My best pass rush move, some of them are like, I like the speed rush. My first step, my first couple of steps are, are fast, and I like to get to, to the point before that, that tackle does. And then from that, speed to power, and also the long arm. I love the long arm because I can – I can make other moves out of that, of the long arm. What's the key to being an edge rusher? The key, there's there's a lot of things. You got to, your first steps are very important when you want to rush the edge. Knowing your opponent is huge. So that comes with just film study. And then just having good hands. Knowing where to put your hands, when to do certain moves with your hands is super important uh chris when you turn on the film and we watch you you look like an athlete out there i assume that football wasn't the only sport that you played when you were growing up yeah so when i was um in middle school i did wrestling and even in, going into high school i would wrestle with the, the wrestlers i wouldn't i wasn't on the wrestling team but i would go and wrestle with the wrestlers from time to time to help me stay in shape in, in high school, my freshman and sophomore year, I played basketball. In the, and in middle school, I did uh, I did track, too. Just having um, my brothers and my sister and all of them being in sports and me just wanting to uh, stay up to speed, honestly, it really helped me to, to be where I'm at now. There was a story out there that I came across that you were reunited with your younger brother. He's now a running back at Concordia. Tell us about that story. What was it like to, to play with him last year? Yeah, it was truly a blessing, honestly. I Just having him on the team, somebody that I'm super close to and um, being able to just just help him along with the process, being in college and 
tell him what he needs to do and and all the lessons he taught me that last year were huge. And then honestly just seeing him score his first college touchdown as a true freshman was one of the most exciting moments that I felt in my whole college career. Just and I ran onto the field celebrating with him. It was just honestly it was just it was pretty it was pretty special having him on the team with me. You were a defensive end in college. Now you'll be making a move to outside linebacker during your training, and that's what you project as at the next level. What challenges lie ahead for you? What do you need to improve upon as you make that transition? Yeah, I need to um, – I think the biggest thing is just getting reps at that linebacker, off-the-ball type position. Just being able to move laterally is, is going to be huge for me, and I've been – you know, I've been trying to work on that and implement that in as we speak. And, yeah, I think those are going to be some some of the challenges that lie ahead and just focusing on being able to guard a tight end or something like that. Um, I think I'll be able to adapt pretty quick. Those will be some of the challenges that I face, but I'm confident in my ability to be able to do that. Do you have a favorite NFL team? Yeah. Right now, I'm a I'm a Packers fan. You know, I'm from Wisconsin, green and gold, that's me. Is there an edge rusher in the league that you model your game after? Like we said, I grew up in Wisconsin, and I, I like to model my game. And even from a young age, just watching Clay Matthews, he's not in the league now, but I just like to, to match that intensity that he had and just that just him flying around the corner with fast hands and turning, flipping his hips. On the edge, that's what I kind of like to model my, my game after him. Obviously, there's a lot of other guys in the league that I that I watch and study and uh, try to implement some of those things that they bring too. But um, for if it's probably one guy, it'd be Clay Matthews of, of old. Chris, thank you for being with us and good luck in your pursuit of the NFL. Yeah, thank you guys for uh, inviting me on. This was Blitzcast. We want to thank everyone for listening. Take care.